spiritual disciplines are the means that God has designed, like prayer, fasting, giving, giving. Uh, All these things are a result of practicing them because they are uh, a response of the heart. See, the reason people don't tithe is because it's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's really a heart issue. Uh, Prayer. It's a heart issue. I just feel like I can kind of do my thing without God interfering with my life. Listen, God wants to interfere. He wants to take command and take over. So we're encouraging ourselves, me at the top of the list, to remind ourselves of some things that God has in his word to build us and strengthen us. The Bible is clear that growing, spiritual growth, is something that God designs for all of his children, that we are never meant to just have a stagnant, dead spiritual life, that growth, or should I, I'll use a word the Bible uses that in many places, and that is maturity. I mean, God loves us, and just like parents love their children, and we want our children to grow and get mature. Now, some of us have some late bloomers in that area. We won't, we won't talk about that. But our goal and our desire is that our children as parents, that they go on to maturity, that they grow up. Well, God, our Father, wants us to grow up and go on to maturity in our faith. Last week, we kind of just introduced this theme of next steps. Uh, and we looked at Philippians 2. We're not going to look at that today. But let me just remind you of some things that Paul said in Philippians, actually Philippians 3. And it says, and, I, and I, the reason I love this is because it gives me encouragement and hope that if Paul had to learn some things, then that gives me hope that there, there's things that I'm still yet, that I need to learn. That if Paul the apostle had to learn some stuff, that gives me hope. And he says in Philippians 3, and again, don't turn, just listen, because we're not going to spend much time here. He said, but verse 12 of, verse of chapter 3 of Philippians, not that I've already obtained, and he was talking about his spiritual development. He said, not that I've obtained all this or are already perfect, but he said, I press on. That's what we're talking about is pressing on, is moving forward. Now, Paul wrote that while he was under house arrest, or he might have, you know, kind of we would say in jail. But he says, but I'm pressing on. Even though where I'm at isn't the ideal or optimum circumstance, I'm pressing on to be everything that God wants me to be. That's what I want, don't you? Don't you want to be everything that God wants you to be spiritually and, and, and to, to not settle for just well, this is kind of as good as it gets. No, I want to I know more about God because as I know more about Him, then what is the, the song uh, that we sing? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into His wonderful face, and the things of earth will do what? They'll grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I want to look more into God so that my circumstances, my junk, my stuff gets smaller and smaller, and that I begin to magnify God, and I live more for God, and I'm more on fire for God, and I'm depending on more of His strength and power in my life. Does that mean I'm going to attain perfection in this life? No. Paul even said, look, I I haven't attained perfection. But he said, but this one thing I do, I press on. I keep going forward. So that's what we're talking about in this uh, little mini-series that we're doing in January. But 
in verse 8 of chapter 3, and this is just introduction from last week, this is, the, this is the source of why Paul could say what he could say in verses 13 through 15 of Philippians 3. It's what he said in verse 8. Remember that? It's a familiar verse. He said, I count everything as loss. Okay? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was the fuel by what Paul could say, I press on, because he had made this choice of saying the surpassing worth of Christ is greater than all this stuff that I've supposedly given up, that I've discovered the surpassing worth of Jesus and knowing him is greater, far greater than anything I could ever hope or I could ever imagine. That's the fuel. So Paul's saying, maybe this way we could paraphrase it, I have found the pleasure and joy of knowing Jesus, and I want more of it, and I'm going to press on till the day I die for more of that. And so how do we get that? We don't earn it. Grace, you don't, you don't work for it. But God has designed pipelines. Got to use that word? Means or ways that he has put before us that are talked about in his word by which this surpassing joy is increased in our life. And those things are, are again, some of the habits or the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. You know, there's a lot of great examples in the Bible uh, to what I'm talking about. Abraham. and Abraham, uh, in Genesis 19.27, should be on the screen. The Bible says, early the next morning... Abraham, this is show, so how the, just some random scriptures of somehow the folks in the Bible, how they implement some of these things in their life. Abraham, uh, the Bible says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before God, meaning the place where he met God, where he encountered God, where he prayed, where he uh, uh, took part in this relationship with God. Uh, and we know that Abraham had many encounters. Uh, Daniel was a great example. We studied Daniel in our men's group last, uh, last year. The Bible says, now when Daniel learned, remember the decree that had been published of the guys that eventually wound him up in the lion's den? You know, we learned that in, you know, in, in when we were three years old, the little flannel graphs, you know, the little, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. Well, it says that when he heard about this plot, this scheme that had been published that was kind of uh, against him, was going to get him under arrest, what did he do? He got on Facebook and Twitter and just blasted away. No, it doesn't say that. Now we know it didn't exist, but no, what did he do? It said he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, and look at this last phrase, just as he had done previously, just as he had done before. What, is, what does that tell us? That Daniel was prayer was a part of his habit. It was a part of his spiritual discipline. Peter, Acts 10.9, another example. And these are just few of many where it talks about how Peter, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. That was, uh, uh, they were able to do that. I wouldn't suggest that for some of your homes, but, but he was able to go up. They were able to use the roof on many of the homes because it was cooler and, and it was uh, something they, they could do. And he went up there to pray. But the wonderful example, and we, we can find many, is Jesus where in, Ma- in Mark one thirty five it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, 
left the house and went off to a solitary place, a quiet place where he prayed. And and so this morning, we want to talk about two key ways that God has designed that we can overcome what I call spiritual ADD, attention deficit disorder. Now, that's not a slam. ADD is a real thing. And the older I get, I realize I probably have it more than I realize and probably had it when I was in school more than I realized. Of course, back in the dark ages, they didn't, you know, tell us a lot of that stuff. But there is a spiritual ADD where we just are so distracted by everything except what is and should be important into our life. And God has given us some tools and some ways that we can overcome this attention, this spiritual attention deficit disorder in order to help us focus and glean everything that God has for us. You might have heard um, that uh, uh, when you were uh, maybe in some point, you may have never heard this term before, but when I was in uh, college, in, in Bible college, one of the things that they taught us was the value of the spiritual habit of having a quiet time. And that sounds kind of mysterious, doesn't it? A quiet time, you know? And all it was was saying, you should have a time set aside where you can just get yourself together alone with God and pray, open, your, open the Bible, and put that time of free from distractions in your life and allow God and you to communicate and talk and you learn of Him and He can listen and you can listen to Him. It was a time set aside daily, and that's the important thing, is daily that you put aside where you can communicate with God. And so sometimes we call it a quiet time. I call it a connection time, a time to connect with God. And this is a daily time, a spiritual habit, where I set aside a specific time. I see specific misspelled, in case all of you uh, people like me are detail-minded. You catch that right away. I didn't catch it. A specific time to be alone with God so that I may grow in my relationship with Him by reading the Bible and prayer. Just a simple definition. That's not out of the King James. Uh, it's, just, it's just a definition that, that I made up, obviously, and misspelled it on top of it. But it's a spiritual habit where I set aside a specific time to be alone with God so that I might grow in my relationship with Him by two means that He has given us, and that's the Word of God and through prayer. Simple definition. Remember what we said last week. This isn't a got-to drudgery thing. This is a get-to, that because God has covenanted himself with us, I get to enjoy and spend time with God, with the creator of the universe, wants to be with me, spend time with me, and he has enabled me through prayer and his word to have uh, and understand his will. Jesus is our perfect example. Does the scripture remember at the the darkest time in his life before the cross, Luke chapter 22, the Bible says where Jesus there in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. That's a, that, that can preach by itself. Being in more agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
a time of suffering and hardship, he leaned in to his heavenly father even, even in a greater way. And it said his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see, again, Jesus in his darkest time before he faced his own death was spending time in communion with his heavenly father. Great example that we shouldn't just overlook. So when we talk about time spent with God, there's just some three quick benefits here. And don't get excited. This won't be the whole message. This is just a little taste of, to remind us of the value of time spent with God. When we spend time with God, you know what it does? It drains me of my own weaknesses and fills me with God's strength. When I'm spending time with God, you know what? It drains me of my own weakness because the Bible says that when I am weak, he is what? Second thing is time with God drains me of my own will and fills me with God's will. I need God. You know, we hear the politicians talking about draining the swamp, whatever that means. You know what? I need the Holy Spirit to drain this swamp of self and refill me daily. Amen? And the third benefit is just maybe not great English, but time with God drains me of me and fills me with God. You know who my biggest enemy is? It isn't the devil. It's my own selfish heart. It's my own sinful ways where I'm always, my default is always to lean into myself instead of leaning. What does the Proverbs say? Do not lean on your own understanding. That's my default. I want to lean on my own understanding and not trust him. And so I need time with God to just drain me of me and fill me more with him. So this morning we're going to focus primarily on the two pipelines, two ways that God has given us, and that's the Bible and prayer. The Bible and prayer. There is no magic pixie dust to the Christian life. Sometimes some of you have heard me say that. I wish that I could just kind of reach into my pastoral pocket and just, swoo. We got guys on TV that like to throw their coats around and do all that shenanigans. Let me tell you something. I I don't have anything like that. It, It comes down to this. It comes down the Christian life, walking with Jesus. After years since I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old, at First Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, Dr. Vernon O. Elmore gave an altar call and the last day of vacation Bible school. And I'm not even sure what all that meant, but I knew that what he was talking about, I wanted in on. And unfortunately, my family was not in a supportive uh, condition, but I believe God honored that simple faith of a child in that, in that vacation Bible school when he gave that and asked if I would want Jesus to come into my life. That's where I believe it started. And, and, you know, since then, there's been all sorts of ups and downs and valleys and twists and turns. But after all these years and even in pastoral ministry and talking to people, listen, I don't have any magic pill to give you. You cannot negate the fact that you've got, if you are serious and you've made a real commitment to Christ, you've got to spend time with God in his word and you've got to spend time letting him talk to you. Because that's all that prayer is. It's just communication and talking. Letting him speak to you. And one of the wonders of wonders is that I get to talk to him. I get to speak to him. So that's what we're going to emphasize today is the word of God and prayer. And this is going to be so practical. You know, Jim and Frank got real deep on us about covenant. I, I'm glad they did because this, this is going to be real practical stuff 
down to the very basics. And some of you have been believers a long time. You know what? This may just be, uh, this may be reviewing kindergarten. Great. But you know what? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Guess what? At almost 55 years of age, I still need to know my reading, writing, and arithmetic, those basics of life. Well, there's some basics of walking in this, in this walk of Christ that I still need to be reminded of, and that's what we're going to do today. Joshua 1.8 says, in this great promise of God's word, Joshua 1.8, the book of the law, the Lord gave this promise to Joshua, and I believe to all of God's people, the book of the law, we could say the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that, for what? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Not just to know a bunch of stuff about the Bible, but so that you would know it in order to obey it for then, what do you mean then? Then when you obey it, not when you meditate. No, when you obey it, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We're promised that if we meditate on God's word, if we take it in, Jeremiah talked about how the word of God was sweet and he ate of it because he wanted to digest it into his very soul and his spirit. When we take that and apply it into our lives, our lives will be blessed. Now, I know it says uh, prosperous, and sometimes we hear that misused in our, in, our, uh, in our faith community and people that misuse that. No, it, it just simply means that you're going to be blessed by God. That doesn't mean you're going to be immune from suffering and hardship. Hello? It doesn't mean you're going to be immune from disease and death. You'll still walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. But what's the promise? Thou art with me. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. So my life, remember what Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. And he wrote that from jail. Because he was not constantly dependent on what was happening to him and around him because his faith was anchored in the one that surpassed all understanding and gave him the great joy, and that's Jesus. That's what I want to tap into, right? Don't you want to tap into that kind of joy that isn't always anchored to circumstances and elections and budgets and all the cut, whatever it is. Our emotions are tied to all those things. And so we're always up and down, down and in and out. No, I want to be anchored to Christ who never changes. Never changes. The same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Now, when you begin to build something... It's helpful to have the right tools, right? You ever go, guys, you ever go to fix something and somebody's borrowed something you need? Keith, has that ever happened to you? No, because I think you put a lock on your stuff. I just know that about you. And you go and you need to fix the dryer, you need to unhinge something. And you can't, and what do you do? You get a bread knife trying to unscrew, you know, you do something stupid and you make it worse. Well, and you know how amazing it is when you have the right tool to fix something and you just think, oh man, this is wonderful. This is, or you know, the right bit to go with that, you know, whatever it is, it just works. And it makes, it makes, you know, fixing stuff. I mean, you look like the guys on HGTV. You're, you're like, uh, you know, the tool time guys, you know. Uh, you just, yeah, you just, man, you make it look so easy because you have the right tools. Well, there are tools that I believe that we need to have if we're going to be intentional in, in, in getting practical of this, of this growing in prayer and the Word of God and growing in these things. 
Now, let me just say this kind of, I'm going to give you uh, some, some, uh, some areas here in a minute. But listen, get a pen and a notebook to begin with when you, if you are intentional about spending time with the Lord. Because here, here's just a, here's a crazy thought. God might just speak to you and say something. Isn't that wild? He might just impart something in his word or in prayer. It always is going to go with the word of God. What he says to you is never going to contradict. We know that. But he may say something, and if you're like me, and I hope you're not quite like, and you don't write it down, some of you will say something to me in the hallway or whatever, and I say, send me an email, please, because it's, it could, it could, I can be, talk about ADD, I can be distracted in a nanosecond, and I'll forget that very important thing you just told me, right? So I need to write it down. I'll run into my office and write it on a little sticky note and put it up there. High tech. I'm high tech. I use yellow, pink, blue, all the, I'm not really into this. And and I'll put that before me so I remember so I don't forget. So get yourself a pen. Don't, don't have to get, you don't have to go to Barnes and Noble and get some leather thing you wrap up so you look like Moses riding on the, you know, on the mountain, you know, mountain or anything. Just get a simple little notebook. Get a three by five card. How about that? You can get a whole pack for under a buck at Walmart. Just cheap. Take a three by five card and when you have the, and put it in your Bible so as you spend time with God, that you're ready as you open his word, you're ready that, that if, if God imparts something, you're ready to write it down because that could be the very thing that God is sending your way for that day that's going to make the difference between peace and chaos in your life. Have you ever found that to be the case? That God imparts a word in a very timely way, in a very timely fashion, at just the right place, the right moment, and that's the difference between you coming undone and doing something that you have to regret and ask forgiveness for, and God just brings that word, and you know that God has spoken into your life. And if you've never experienced that, then this is a good day to be in church because I'm going to help you, give you some practical ways that if you will apply them, that that can become a common reality, not just something that happens every two or three years or on leap year. I mean, you can actually uh, have God work into your life. And remember what Joshua said. Uh, He said, meditate meditate. That, that's not the, the secular idea. You know, there's a, there's a the, you know, yoga or, or, or new age where, again, it's that we meditate and we, we get to this neutral state where I put my mind in neutrality. The Bible never, ever advocates putting your brain and mind in neutrality. It talks about being self-controlled. So we're not talking about that kind of... We're talking about meditation where I ponder, I think, I, I, I allow the Holy Spirit to, to open my understanding as I ponder His Word. It's better, it's better to read less and learn more than to be reading and checking off a bunch of boxes in your daily reading and you have no idea what you're reading, but you can go back and say, yeah, I read through the whole book of Deuteronomy. Don't know anything about it, but boy, I got through it. What good does that do you? Read less, learn more. So get yourself a pen and a notebook and you can go online and, and the computer and if, you don't, if you're not realize that this is a computer age, 
like Homer Simpson, you know, the internet is now on computers. You ever heard him talk about that? Uh, And if you haven't realized that technology, I will give you a printed version of some sort. Most of you have some kind of study Bible, and there's a daily Bible reading plan in most of those study Bibles. And you can go online and just find all sorts. You can find it where you're going to read through the New Testament. You can read through the book of John. Again, you don't need a big plan. Just read a chapter a day. Read five verses a day. Take 15 minutes. Read a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs, and in most months you can read a proverb every day. Read a psalm a day. Read that at night. It's not complicated, but you know what makes it complicated? Is you just got to do it. That's the crazy thing I hate about exercise and joining these gyms is they expect me to show up and do stuff, right? You know? All right. We'll leave it there. Pastor Wayne Cadero, who uh, is uh, now he's a pastor to pastors, and uh, he uh, when he was pastoring in Hawaii, wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love to pastor in Hawaii? Wouldn't that be a great gig, uh, pastor in Hawaii? But when he was pastoring in Hawaii, he developed this for his church, and it's an acronym, uh, and it just goes off the letters from the word SOAP, S-O-A-P, S-O-A-P, uh, and it, each one of those is just, and it's so simple. That it, that it helps us as we apply the Bible. That's what we're going to talk about first, and we're going to do it real quick. S stands for Scripture. When you open the Word of God and you want to begin reading on a daily basis, for example, let's say we're going to uh, look in Ephesians chapter 2. That's a great, great chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. And I open Ephesians chapter 2, and that's the Scripture I'm going to read. So obviously I'm going to read the Scripture, Okay? We're talking about daily encountering the Word of God. Here's a little simple four-point plan that if you do this, it will change your life if you, if you make use to it. Is this, is, did this come from, uh, you know, heaven or anything? No, it's just a tool, and there's lots of tools, but I found this just to be a simple thing that I can just remember, S-O-A-P, and when I open the Word of God, I can apply this, and all of a sudden now I'm engaging in God's Word with the Creator of the universe. So I need to open the Scripture. So let's just say I'm going to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. That's going to be the passage I'm going to work through for that day. Next is the word is the letter O. Remember S-O-A-P, O? And that is observation. What do you think God is saying in this Scripture? So as I read it, I want to make some observations. So, for example, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That means, wow, at one time, because this is written to believers, I was dead, and at one time I was dead in my sin, okay? And so I go down to verse 5, and another observation is that he's made me alive in Christ, and I read about uh, by grace I've been saved. In other words, you're just making observations of what that says. There's no right or wrong. You're not going to be tested on this. You're not going to hand it in to God and say, okay, you got ten, you know, you got five out of ten, do better next. No, no, you're just making observations of things that jump out to you. If you find a word or a phrase that you don't understand, write it down and, and look it up or do what a lot of people do. They call their pastor, all right? And I want to say, well, look it up yourself. But find, find a way to learn this. You're just making observation of things that are in Scripture. A, A, remember S-O-A-P? A is application. Personalize what you have read. It doesn't do you any good just to read it and say, oh, that's interesting. But personalize by asking yourself and asking the Lord, how does this apply to your life right now. So as I'm opening that, uh, it basically is, what am I going to do about this? I've read this. What am I going to do about it? Remember this principle. 
The Bible is not just for our information, but it's for our transformation. I'll say that again. The Bible is not just a means to give us information, but it is for our transformation. So I'm asking and I'm looking at the Word. I've opened the Scripture. I'm making observations, and I'm saying, Lord, how does this Scripture, how is this something that applies and imparts into my life? You see, it's not just running through Ephesians 2, but about Ephesians 2 running through you. This is not an exercise in higher learning. This is an exercise in spiritual maturity learning and saying, God, how does your word apply to my life? So, for example, because verse uh, 5 of chapter 2, just using Ephesians 2 as an example, because Christ uh, Jesus has raised me from death to life spiritually, therefore, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to thank him for doing that in my life. Just stop right there. I'm going to thank you for doing that in my life, that you've raised me from death to life, that you've brought life in some dead areas that were inherited in my family that were death areas, and you've brought life into my existence. And so, so I might say, well, you know, if, if Jesus has done this for me, maybe the other thing I, that the Lord wants is I can tell somebody what, about this new life in Christ. Again, we're talking about how do I personalize what I've read? I might be motivated to pray for a friend. In other words, the more specific you are, the more that this word is going to affect and change your life. And the last part of this acrostic is the word or the letter P, which stands for prayer. And that ties into where the other means that God has given us. We want to respond to what we just learned from God by talking to him about it. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting that the disciples never asked Jesus, teach us how to do a miracle. Didn't ask him. Jesus, teach us how to share our faith. But what did they ask him to teach them? Teach us how to pray. I don't know this for a fact, but I just wonder, out of the three and a half years that they were with him, they observed him going off in the early morning hours, maybe waking him thinking, We're, you know, and they, or they could hear him, you know, and they observed. And I just had this picture where they said, we want to pray like that. Remember, these were good Jewish boys. They knew how to, you know, they knew how to do, do the, the liturgical Jewish prayers, the Psalms. They knew how to, quote, unquote, pray in the formal liturgical aspect of Judaism. What they didn't know was, teach us to talk to God the way you do it. Because that's not what we've learned. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. So look at Matthew 6, 5 through 8, and that should be on the screen. Jesus said, and when you pray, notice he assumes that we're going to do what? He's teaching his followers. What does he assume? You pray. And when you pray. Says so the same thing about fasting, when you fast. When you pray, and he says a lot of things do not to do, because there's some ways to pray poorly. He says, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. People come up to him, oh, you're so spiritual. That's their reward. But when you pray, verse 6, he says, go into your room. 
shut the door and pray to your father, not as a performance, but to your father who is in secret. And your father, notice he's teaching us, my father, your father, and your father who sees in secret will will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you have need of before you ask. So he's teaching us about the right attitude of prayer. And then he goes down to verse 9. When he says, this then is how you should pray, verse 9. He's not giving us words to recite, okay? He's giving us a model or a template by which we can guide our prayers. Because if you read above what he had just said earlier, he said, do not, what the scripture we read earlier, he said, do not be like the Gentiles who like to cite a lot of words in vain repetitions, The Lord's Prayer can be turned into a vain, mindless repetition as though it becomes like a mantra. You know what a mantra is? It's not a mantra. It's a model. It's a template. It's an example of saying, here, just like I'm giving you just kind of a little structure that as you pray, here's a model for you in developing your relationship with your Father. And we're going to go through these real quick. And each one of these we could spend, again, this is a whole series, but that's not my intent. First he says, our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name, or hallowed be your name. That reminds us that when we pray, we start with praise. We start with praise. Praise can be adoration where we're praising God for who he is. It also can be thanksgiving for we're praising God for things that he has done. But we begin with praise. Listen, if God is really the one on the throne, do you not think that the conversation should start with him and not you? Secondly, Jesus says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That speaks about placing our focus on God's purposes and not our own. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not God, here's my agenda. God, what is your agenda? You remember if you've gone through the experiencing God, Henry Blackaby, what is the core premise to his whole study? Find out what God is doing and get in on it. Is that not the... There, I just gave you the 20-week experiencing God course in one sentence. There you go. There you go. Your certificates will be available at the end of the service. Find out what God is doing around you or insert and get in and say, God, what is your purpose? What is your agenda? Thirdly, give us this day our daily bread. Remember manna, the children in the wilderness? They were given manna daily. And when they tried to get the Tupperware out and store it, what happened? It rotted except on the Sabbath. Okay, then they could have leftovers. Give us this day our daily manna, the bread from heaven, the provision. God, I'm asking you, uh, like what James encourages me to do, James 1.5, if any of you lack, what, wisdom, do what? Ask God who gives you, who gives wisdom generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him or to her. So as I, as I, 
think about my day as I'm, I'm, I'm walking through and praying. I'm saying, God, I need your wisdom in this situation. God, I need your help in this situation. I need the words to speak into this situation. Instead of focusing on the problem, God, I want to be focused on what your agenda is in this person's life or this situation. Give me my daily bread. And guess what? When we ask him that, and when, we, and when God accomplishes that, that's an opportunity for me to give God thanks when I'm specific. God, I need an answer to this situation. I need God, I need to bring a sale into this uh, to my the, to my home. I'm not selling my home, but I I need a sale to this, or I need this job situation. I need an answer, or I need to. I, I'm, I've been weighing these two job situations. Should I take one or the other? I need you to specifically give me an answer. I believe God will do that. I believe God will do that when we're specific. As I pray as your pastor, Lord, I want to serve your people. Speak this word into my life so that I'm a servant that's speaking and encouraging them in their faith, in their walk, as their shepherd. God, give me specific direction on how to do this. And I believe God does that and wants to do that. Number four, forgive us our debts. Again, this is just a template. This is just a a help for you to develop time in the word, time to prayer. And so I say forgive us our debts. That speaks about pardon Forgive us our debts. God, those areas, 1 John 1, 9 says, written to Christians, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Wait wait a minute, I thought Christians are perfect. They never sin. Wrong Bible. You're reading Nephi or the Koran or I don't know what you're reading, but it's not the word of God, all right? It says, if we confess our sins. So that tells me that even Christians born again, followers of Jesus, that we sin. You know what the difference is? We don't remain in that sin. And if we want to remain in that sin, the Holy Spirit just makes us miserable. Miserable until we just get ourselves back in line with God's agenda. So one of the ways that we get ourselves back in line of God's agenda isn't to say, oh, God, save me. No, we confess our sins. God, I I, I know you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm not re-saving myself. I'm saying, Lord, cleanse me. I'm I'm praying prayers like David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Do spiritual deep surgery and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Anybody have anxious thoughts? Oh, you might sleep for eight hours, but you don't really sleep. Because you're anxious all night about something. See if there is any offensive way in me, offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Confession before God. And because Jesus is my mediator, I go through Jesus as my high priest. And I bring confession before him. And you know what happens? Something really amazing happens in my life, and I'm sure it does yours as well, is I confess before God my sin, my failures, my shortcomings, those areas where I know I've not been obedient to his word. And God graciously reminds me of his covenant, his love for me, his commitment in blood that he has established in Jesus for my life. And that that humbleness, that humility, that God loves me in spite of all my screw-ups, You know what that in turn does? 
makes me a lot more patient with other people in my life. Remember the parable Jesus gave about the man who was forgiven of a, of a massive debt? And then somebody that owed him a little bit came and he, was, he just threw him in jail and all. Jesus says, we're kind of like that. We're ready for God to forgive our massive debt, and yet we don't in turn show the love and grace to others. When I begin to ask God to to search my heart and to forgive me of my sins, he reminds me that, you know, Tim, you are not perfect. And just as I am patient with you, as I, as I am just, just as I am long-suffering with you, you in turn, you be patient and long-suffering. You be gracious and kind. You wouldn't want me to act like you act or you think in your heart towards somebody. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that? Fifth, as we receive pardon with God, it affects again, ties in with this people as we also have forgiven our debtors. Ties in with what? Just as I experience and receive God's forgiveness, I in turn become a means of expressing and forgiving forgiveness to others. Number six, Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. He's not saying, now God, don't lead me into these horrible things where I'm going to be hurt. That's no. He's saying, God, Give me spiritual protection in my life. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, and we won't take time to look at Ephesians 6, where Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. Paul was very acquainted with the spiritual battle that is against us. We are praying, God, protect me today. If you drive down 98 with any regularity, or in the city of Lakeland, I might say, and I'm not saying that to be funny. Listen, it's a rare person that something tragic has not either happened to you or almost happened to you. Imagine how those things can, uh, we had a couple in our church that witnessed somebody being hit, was it Friday night, uh, Thursday night, on Lakeland Hills. Think about all the lives that were changed. The man that was elderly that was walking across the street, the person and his toddler and that family that hit them and the ripple effect. God, protect my life. Protect me today. We live in a time in which, yes, there are actual evil people seeking to do Christians much harm. Protect me, God. Protect my family. Protect my house. God's protection. Lead us not into temptation. I believe, and this is in any way a discouragement, but you know what? Once you begin aligning your life and you begin to take seriously about this walk, and you begin to spend time with God in the Word and prayer, guess what? The enemy's going to do things into you and against you to bring distraction and discouragement. And so we pray, Father, protect me, lead me not into temptation where I'm going to be distracted or I'm going to be discouraged from walking in the path that you have given to me. So, Lord, Help me today, protect me, lead me not into temptation. You see, I believe this, and we'll wrap it up with this. If we would take seriously, I know not everybody's going to do this. Some of you already do this. Some of you do more. That's not the point. But if we would begin to take simply 15 minutes a day, and we would take time to implement just some of these simple things that I've talked about this morning. If you have something better, fantastic. Do it. If it's helping you grow, by all means, do it. 
The point is, is to spend daily time walking with the Lord through the Word of God and through prayer. And here's two things that you've got to implement. It's so easy and so practical. Number one is you've got to make time to do it. You've got to make time to do it. And you've got to set a place to do it. Remember, we talked about Jesus and and his time as an example is that he spent time and his pattern was often early morning. Now, I used to not be an early morning person. But when you get two dogs who have no concept of clocks and calendars and who will drive you nuts early in the morning until you get up, by the time I do that, I'm like, well, I might as well stay up, make coffee and whatever, right? And I say, thank God for those two mutts. Good for nothing, spoiled mutts. I'm glad that they're getting me up because once I'm up, I'm up. And I find that I can take time and be quiet before the Lord. That's a good thing. If that works for you, great. You know what the best time is? The best time is the time that works for you. Don't get into some legalistic thing that you've got to get up like Martin Luther at 3 a.m. and pray for three hours. Listen, newsflash, you're not going to do it. You'll sleep two and a half of the hours, right, and call it meditation. (laughs) The best time, the best time is the time that works for you. And select a place. That passage we read earlier in Luke 22, where Jesus, the Bible says, as was his custom, went out to the Mount of Olives. It was usual. It was routine. It was a habit. It wasn't the first time you went to the garden and pray. So find whatever place or area. Frank told me that he gets to work early and sits in his truck 15, 20, 30 minutes early before the day starts and has his quiet time there in the parking lot of the, where he works, just quiet in the can. Hey, Fantastic. Find a place. And when I say find a place, don't have Sports Center or HGTV playing in the background and think you're going to get a lot done there. You're not going to get a lot done. Find some place that's free from distraction and just say, I'm going to commit some time to do this. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I love what Rick Warren wrote in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he talks about the things that God's Word does to our life because God's Word and prayer, it all winds together. The Word of God generates life. It creates faith. It produces change. Yes, the Word of God frightens the devil. Just read uh, Matthew 4. causes miracles. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. It overcomes adversity. It defeats temptation. It infuses hope. It releases power. It cleanses the mind. Do we need those things? You bet we do. Every one of them, we need them. And there's only one way to get it, and that's through the Word of God and spending time in prayer. And if you're not doing it, I will tell you this as sure as I'm standing here, you will not and cannot grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't mean to sound legalistic or alarm, but let me suggest this too. If there is never, ever any desire to do any of that, then there may have may never have been a real transformation in your life. Because I believe that at some point there is a desire to know Christ. 
Does that mean you're going to walk? You know, the, Jesus gave the parable of the talents. There's one talent, ten talents. No, we're all at different places in our journey. But they all had a talent. They all had a place where they were doing something that, that God was working in their life. Maybe you have gotten just lazy, spiritually lazy and off track. Well, you know what? Today's a great place or a great time to start. And don't make some ridiculous ambition. Just say, you know what? I'm going to take five minutes. As, as Jim was saying about giving, just start and be consistent. And you know what will happen? You'll say, boy, that, that, that five minutes went pretty quick. That's not enough time. I'm going to mark a little extra time. I'm going to mark a little extra time because as I start growing and doing this, I find I don't want to get away. God wants that for our life. Reading intentionally his word and talking with him and letting him talk to you. Let's close in prayer. Sherry, if you'd come. Father, this morning, Lord, I pray that all of us would be renewed and just motivated in some measure. Lord, that we as as followers of you, that you desire relationship. And that's all we're talking about here. It's it's relationship. And you have designed the, the methods which is your word and prayer that that relationship is grown and fostered. You created humankind and you walked with them in the, in the cool of the day, free from any barriers. Well, we have been freed from any barriers because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has told us that we can speak to our Father as Abba, Father, a very intimate, similar to saying Dad, Daddy. Because of Jesus, because of the new covenant, the veil that was in that temple that separated us humans from the presence of God has been torn from top to bottom. There's no barrier. We have free access. We can come freely to the throne of grace. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that some of us, Lord, all of us that are here in some way, as we start Monday, would find some way, Lord, that we are going to say, I want that type of relationship with the Lord. I'm tired of just knowing what I knew 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I need, God's, I need God to speak into my life in a fresh way. I'm discouraged. I'm downcast. I'm, I'm just hanging on by my fingernails sometimes. I need the creator of the universe to enter into my living room, my truck cab, wherever it is, and tell me that I'm going to make it. Not because of me, but because he is with me and never leaves me nor forsakes me. I need that. I want that. Let's stand to our feet as Sherry closed in this last.
song of worship this morning. I give you-